everyone. It's Nick Walters again with the webinar Wednesdays hosted by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And if you are listening to this, then you would be listening to the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast. And we are uh, continuing to give you great content with people in the industry who are who are telling us good things to watch out for and bad things to watch out for at the same time. And, and that is... Uh, no less of our uh, monthly conversation we get to have with the uh, uh, cannabis industry group at the Bradley Law Firm. Whit Steinecker is with us yet again. And last month, uh, while um, um, the big cannabis convention was going on in Las Vegas, uh, I think you were speaking on a panel and Hunter uh, uh, filled in. It was the uh, flying solo instead of the dynamic duo as we usually had. So I guess turnabout is fair play, right? You get the, you get the slot for November. That's right. I think he's uh, on some golf course at the moment, I suspect. <laughs> don't tell it all, man. Say he's off and doing business or doing some sure. mission work or something. You don't sure. have to do all that stuff. So terrific. So, um, uh, Whit, thank you again for uh, uh, taking time to come share with us some things that are going on on the legal front. Uh, of course, anybody who is tuned in and uh, watching us live, or if you're listening to this later, remember that every Wednesday we have the live um, recording of the podcast. We think that's a little bit different, so you can have an opportunity to to chime in and to ask our guests questions. And if you are there and want to do that through the chat box, then go right on in and 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 uh, be able to put some questions on. So, Whit, anything off the top of your head or just some things that you think that uh, are of interest since the last time we would have visited? You know, we've been thinking about um, the industrial side of the hemp business um, lately. And, you know, we, at the firm, we have some industrial clients and, you know, it's always a really different dynamic with our industrial side clients versus our, you know, what I'll just call for ease of reference, sort of our, our CBD type clients, you know, the, um, the, the folks who are more likely, maybe it's not, you know, CBD, maybe it's CBG or, or whatever, but, you know, the people who are more likely to make, um, you know, your creams, your edibles, you know, th things like that, your beverages. Um, and, you know, I think the first bit of news is that there really hasn't been much news in the last year, you know, and since the election. And, you know, I don't, I think reasonable people could have disagreed about, you know, what a Biden administration would mean for him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe it's because of COVID or because of any number of reasons, or, you know, it's just the cannabis policy and certain, even within cannabis policy, hemp policy, you know, hasn't received top billing as the administration's tried to push through, you know, sort of bigger ticket uh, agenda items. But I mean, frankly, I, I view it as sort of no news is good news on the industrial side, because, you know, whereas the on the CBD side, you know, you're waiting for, I mean, what I would, I think charitably call clarity from FDA and FTC and some other agencies, right? Um, or you're really hoping they change the mind. Um, you know, on the industrial side, I mean, I think it's pretty much wide open. I mean, the industrial side, you're sort of limited the way you're always limited when you make a product. I mean, you know, there's product liability lawsuits, of course, if your product hurts somebody, there's consumer fraud and protection type statutes, you know, if your product doesn't do what it says it's going to do. 
but generally speaking, I mean, it's it's a, something that is ready to roll out to the market now, and it's it's limited only by sort of uh, you know, people's willingness to make a big play and and you know invest the dollars and do the research and um, and you know educate. I mean, that, that's a huge part of it. Obviously, is educating the people who can help them scale up in a, in a way. So um, the fact that I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't anticipate a crackdown on the hemp industry uh, right. last year, but the fact that there hasn't been anything that seems negative, um, I think is probably, uh, was definitely to the good for the uh, uh, industrial side. And, you know, frankly, it probably could have been a little worse on the CBD side and it hasn't been. So, um, you know, that's, I think that's the, the, the big sort of first takeaway, um, no matter where you think we are, uh, it could have been a lot different. Um, yeah. I think there were a lot of anxieties going into the election in the industry about, you know, what was coming next. And, uh, you know, I think the good news is, you know, I think it's still, uh, you know, whatever you want is still right in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I guess. Um, so let's just let's just say some building product. Uh, right. Being able to use uh, industrial uh, hemp for using the fibers, whether it's decorticated or not or how it's used. That's another whole processing question. But. Um, let's just run out of scenario. So if you were to go to almost many of the land grant institutions across the, the country, uh, universities or others that might have a school of architecture or a building composites materials division underneath, and they did stress testing and they went in and checked it all out. They tried to burn it and they tried to put up, you know, put some termites in it and whatever whatever way they tested and they came out with a third party you know study and said this stuff will work and it will do what it said or here's what the test is you could take that document and go across town to the building codes division at that at that city and say hey look we want to go build this house out of um, and use this material um, we're not waiting on some big federal bureaucracy like the FDA to sign off that it's okay. If they're building, co- while they're waiting on some international building codes and things like that are going on, that really kind of gives us an opportunity to do some of these things, maybe in smaller, more spot markets of, of uh, using hemp now instead of waiting for some great big edict on high to come down. That's exactly right. I mean, there's there shouldn't be anything that stops you from, you know, pursuing your sort of industrial hemp idea, uh, provided that it doesn't run afoul of the types of things that any product could run afoul of. And so um, I'm not naive enough to think that people won't understand it. And so if you go to, you know, the, the folks who regulate the building code in your hometown and you want to build, you know, you want to use hemp as part of a construction material uh, in your home, and they may be confused at first and they may be uh, reluctant and hesitant and they may even outright say no, but I think that's just a function of them needing, you know, more education. Um, you know, the studies are, are out there and they're growing. Um, so part of this is just, you know, getting everybody else um, sort of up to speed where the industry already is. Um, and we can talk about this in a few minutes, but I mean, you see that in banking all the time um, where it's perfectly safe and, legal to bank hemp, uh, but a lot of banks don't do it. Um, uh, in all sorts of other places where you would look, if you're a, a hemp company where you still have to sort of overcome this ignorance 
seems like a strong word, but I think it really is just ignorance. They yeah. just don't understand sort of what, um, how quickly things have changed um, and how dramatically things have changed. And so, yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, the sky's the limit on this industrial hemp side. I think it's probably, I mean, there's a few, there's a couple of pros and cons. I do think it's probably, it would probably be easier to start up some CBD district, uh, CBD dispensing operation, you know, a little cheap, more cheaply. Um, you know, you could just buy some product from somebody who wholesales it and right. uh, sell it online. You could do that for a lot less money than you could start an industrial hemp company. Sure. Um, but if you could get, um, you know, into the industrial hemp supply chain, um, that's where I think you get into addressable markets that are that just dwarf what people would think about on the CBD side. Um, you know, you can probably make a perfectly fine living selling CBD to people to give to their pets. Um, but that is not going to be in the same stratosphere as someone who uh, gets a contract with Mercedes-Benz to make manufacture their car door, component parts for their car doors. Sure. Um, or, you know, when Ford decides they want to make, um, you know, uh, uh, airbags out of hemp, uh, you know, things like that, that's where the addressable markets are huge, when it could literally be everybody in the world, as opposed to, um, you know, people who are sort of actively looking for what is, at least right now, sort of a niche market. Because the sort of part and parcel of that is you can start making hemp for people who don't even care that they're getting hemp. They don't even know that they're getting hemp. Um, they just want a car door that doesn't crumple when it gets hit. Or, you know, they just want uh, some sort of, um, you know, uh, cloth that is antimicrobial. Um, they, they don't care that it's hemp. Uh, they just care that it works. And or they may like the sustainability piece of it too. They may yeah, like sure. to know and believe that, hey, yeah. look, I'm reducing my carbon footprint, even though I'm driving down the Audubon at, at 216 miles an hour. Uh, but I still like to know I'm reducing my carbon footprint front. So that makes me feel a little bit better to know there's some hemp in the door paddles. And those are people in your market who, you know, may not have actively sought out uh, your product or even sought out hemp. They just sought out an environmentally friendly option. Whereas, you know, in the CBD side, it's much more of sort of branding, making sure somebody's got to look and sort out, to seek out your product and your brand, um, and they have to have sort of the conditions that you're going after and all those sorts of things. So, again, this is, the point of today is not to say, you know, there's anything wrong with the CBD side, CBD side of the business, and there, there certainly isn't. Um, and a lot of our clients are, and, and there's plenty of money and good to be done on, uh, on that side. Uh, but there is a, a sense that if the industrial side takes off in the way that a lot of people project it will be, it will be of a different scale uh, than what we're currently seeing. And a lot of that really is, I mean, it is, if you're on the CBD side and you're looking to, um, you know, make as much, generate as much revenue as you can, you are really running up against Re regulations that are unlike many industries around. Um, and that, that is for a couple of reasons. One, they're pretty stringent, although maybe not uniformly enforced. Uh, but two, they are evolving and they're new and they don't necessarily make sense. Um, and so the government is sort of 
maybe not overreaching, but being sort of overprotective and a little bit paternalistic. And the Food and Drug Administration, I think, is understandably saying we got to understand this more before we say it can be in food and drinks. Um, the FTC seems to think that you know people are going to fall prey to a lot of these uh, hemp-derived CBD type products that they're involved. And it's just a tough business because you either have to, you know, take on the regulatory risk and the risk of enforcement action, or you choose not to do so, but now you're competing against a bunch of businesses who are willing to do that. And so it's just a really tough, uh, those are, those are, you know, it's a, it's extremely difficult choice um, to make. And it's a series of choices that you make. Delta eight, you know, we're going to go that way. All, all those types of decisions. Right. And you just don't have them on the industrial side. And um, and they're easier to, you know, it's easier to get people behind. I think it's easier to, um, you know, on the lobbying front, uh, when you're trying to get uh, uh, better laws pushed through, being able to roll in and say, we're the guys who make, you know, paper and, you know, concrete replacements. And we're going to be able to, you know, make strong homes and hurricane and tornado prone areas and things like that. You know, you're going to generate a lot of goodwill amongst policymakers, you know, as opposed to, you know, we're the guys who maybe we make health claims, maybe we don't, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. Right, um, right. So we got voodoo juice, right? That's yeah, right. so it's, right. it's just a really opportune time to be uh, in the business of, the, of industrial hemp. And I guess I'll just make two other points and we can talk about whatever you want, but one point would be it's a great time to be an investor in industrial hemp or even to be attracting investors because I still believe that there's an asymmetry between the actual risk of operating hemp and uh, uh, industrial hemp business and sort of the perceived risk that requires you to pay a risk premium to investors. Mm. By that, I mean, you know, look, I think everybody knows that if you want to, not everybody maybe, but I think a lot of people who invest in the cannabis space generally understand that if you want to get involved in a marijuana facility in a state where it's legal to do so under state law, you still have this federal uh, prohibition to deal with. And that invites a measure of risk that you don't see in most investments. And so one of the reasons that you get sort of outsized um, uh, returns on these businesses if they're successful is because you were willing to invest when, you know, it was risky to do so. Well, I think a lot of people still think it's risky to invest in industrial hemp uh, just because it's new and, uh, you know, banks won't necessarily, not all the banks will touch it or whatever. But the reality is um, the regulatory risk is essentially zero. Um, Will the business succeed? Well, who knows? I mean, that's you know the risk you always right, 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 right. But you don't. It's have not because you got some product that you don't really know what the future risk, and they're going to regulate you out of business when you were right. that kind of risk, or that the Fed or the state government's going to show up tomorrow and declare all of your activities illegal. I mean, that's just not how that industry is going. And so, it's a really nice time if you understand the industry to get in as an investor because you could usually, um, you know, command a higher uh, rate of return on your investment because that's just what the market's bearing right now. That will level out as it gets more sophisticated. 
Um, and as bigger players, you know, more institutional players start to get in. But as of right now, it's a really nice opportunity to be, um, you know, an investor, you know, looking for, you know, how to sort of arbitrage risk. And then the other thing is just, it's just so much easier to, to get uh, ancillary services. Uh, we have a lot of, a lot of commercial real estate companies or banks will call our law firm up and ask us, um, you know, we had this industrial hemp company or the CBD company that wants to take rent space from us or open a bank account or get a loan. Um, you know, what are our risks sort of here? You know, what are the things they could do, if anything, that would be unlawful? And what are our risks of sort of banking them? What, what knowledge do we have to have? How do we get that knowledge? All those sorts of questions. And on the CBD side, there's just a sort of a, it's a decision tree that has a bunch of branches. Um, but on the industrial side, it's actually a pretty simple analysis. And so your ability to access those types of services that make running a business a lot more efficient um, and cost effective, um, it's just so much easier on the industrial side. So, um, and that seems to be, I mean, my suspicion is that that trend will just get more and more pronounced. Um, it'll get probably more regulated on the CBD side, maybe maybe better regulations, but still there will be, you know, the, just the way the government acts. I mean, they're unlikely, I think, to completely pull back. Like, they'll have some regulation, um, and it'll be more, hopefully, nuanced. But on the industrial side, I easily see it uh, going just the, the way it's been. And as more and more sophisticated players join, um, you know, the market will mature and it'll run, you know, hopefully like uh, most commodities and, and to the, to, you know, the listeners and the viewers who have been in the industry from the beginning and still, or I think we're still very early stages. Um, you know, it might feel like we've been around this for a while, but I think we're really early stage. Right. Um, you know, having been there from the beginning, I think it's really going to, if you can stick around and ride this out, you know, I think you're really well positioned to do well coming out of it. I think it's cool. You know, the, the, uh, another little kind of corollary to that that doesn't get discussed a whole lot on recorded public forums like this is some um, dialogue even within the hemp industry of kind of bifurcating the CBD folk and the fiber and grain folk. Uh, and, and I don't mean going and creating separate organizations and all this, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, concern that for the reasons that you've laid out here, and the grain, you know, still being digested and and you know being eaten and all the rest of that as that would be as it relates to FDA for nutraceutical and that piece kind of set that as a semi side part, but. There's a whole lot of people that are in the fiber decortication business that, quite frankly, are, are are not pleased that the CBD folks who some of whom have been bad actors, right, or that have made claims that were not true or other things have kind of spoiled the broth for everybody as it relates, because you, they've, they've worked real hard to let people know, hey, look, we're not marijuana. OK, that's not who we are. All right. So so if anybody's concerned about that, yes, we're all cannabis. But that's not who we are over here. We're about fiber and, you know, textiles and car parts and all the rest of that stuff. So 
I think along some of those same lines that you're just speaking about on a regulatory end, and maybe even a potential legal risk end or an investor end, some of those things are certainly being kicked around uh, within within the industry as well. That eh, maybe we kind of are needing to be a little bit different, uh, you know, focus in our organizations off that same way. Sure. Well, look, I mean, here's one way to think about it. <clears throat> so at the end of this Congress, so at the end of next year, they need to pass another farm bill. And I mean, I think people probably assume that the that Congress would be inclined to sort of continue the expansion and development of hemp of the hemp program, sort of writ large. And I think that's probably a fair assumption. I think that's probably oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but if I'm a industrial hemp guy or gal, uh, but if I'm in the industrial hemp business then I'm getting pretty nervous about who is getting in the ear of, you know, some conservative Republicans or even moderate Democrats and telling them about the hemp business. Like, yeah, I don't think there's much of an organized lobby against him, but, you know, certainly the marijuana business will be to the extent that uh, Delta eight continues to be seen that with the uh, prohibition of Delta eight in most States where they have adult use marijuana, but you know, if I, I, I'm in Alabama, and so if you're, if I'm thinking about, um, you know, somebody's going to go talk to Tommy Tuberville um, about him, boy, I sure want them talking about, you know, all the products um, that that we're going to make with hemp, that you know we're going to build things, right? Good job. The right. Alabama automotive industry talking to him about hemp. You don't want the, uh, you know. The free wheelers talking to him about yeah because because at some point because he probably doesn't you know I, I, I haven't talked to Senator Tobel about this but um, and so this isn't to pick on him but you know if you just say sort of generic senator you know they, right. most of them probably don't have a full understanding of the nuance and a lot of them were probably predisposed to say <coughs> you know him isn't that the stuff they all smoked in Vietnam and um, you know if you're the industrial guy you have this really compelling story for why that's not at all what it is. If you're the guy selling stuff at gas stations to talk with names that suggest you're going to get high, I mean, right. it's a lot easier for him to do it. And, and it's a lot easier for, you know, somebody who's against it to um, walk into his office and say, well, look, here's what they're selling. Here's their label. Here's whatever. Here's what the DEA, here's what the FDA and the DEA say about it. And then all of a sudden, is it just sort of a pox on both your houses or do they, do they dig in and try to really divvy it up between the two? I mean, I don't know that I like my odds there, uh, you know, about everybody digging in and trying to sort this out in a reasonable way. So I really think if you care about the industry and the organization, the industry generally, um, then you really want to do everything you can um, until we get more clarity on the sort of the legislative front to, you know, keep this a reputable business, something that people are going to want to, if nothing else, just don't throw darts at but hopefully even get behind. Um, and that's not to say there's not room, you know, for, you know, the CBD side products. And I think there are, there's a way to do it, I think, responsibly. And, you know, maybe those companies say, look, I care about making money for myself and not necessarily sort of what comes at it from the industry generally. But, and you know, maybe there's no change in those people's mind. But, you know, for people who do care about 
sort of the industry as a whole and who kind of have this sense that a rising tide, uh, rising tide mentality, uh, you know, I think those would be, uh, would be best to sort of lean into the non, uh, psychotic, uh, um, sort of, uh, benefits of hemp and the, the, the industry, the industrial side is, is just perfectly tailored to do that, um, just by telling their story. Absolutely. And look, if, uh, any of our folks, um, who are listening in have a question that you'd like to ask of, of Whit. Um, he's wide open right now to talk about some of those things. And if you'll put that into our chat box, we'll look at that. You know, uh, Whit, that's a great segue for us to talk about what we announced uh, last week at the end of last week of our partnership that the National Hemp Growers Cooperative is having with Eureka Energy. Uh, Eureka Energy has a contractual relationship with a company called Circular Syntech. And Circular Syntech is taking waste streams, primarily railroad ties and municipal solid waste garbage, as we call it, household garbage, and converting that through a process that will create um, uh, BTX chemicals. Now, I'm way too liberal arts to tell you much more about what that means, but those are super high-end chemicals I know that are used in a myriad of processes, including things like making, you know, uh, what are currently petroleum-based water bottles and plastic bottles for the soft drink industry, for example, that are that are used in some of that. So this is a replacement for that. So Eureka will be supplying renewable natural gas directly to um, uh, Circular and then also creating renewable electricity to provide to Circular as well as to put out onto the grid. Those type of projects, when you're talking about a, a, a hemp grower, a farmer, a, a landowner being able to be in a contractual relationship to grow hemp, and still get carbon credits and other things like that that are all generating from that, being able to process that, put it into the biodigester that, that that Eureka is doing to produce electricity, I mean, to produce this renewable natural gas. Those are the kind of projects that, that are gonna get people's attention because they're multi-million dollar investments, they're jobs that are created, they're things that are going into rural communities, they're, they're markets for the farmers, da 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 right? So that's a segue, good setup. Let's be clear, I didn't set you up for that. I took that, okay, as an opportunity to talk about it. But um, that's the kind of thing that I think is going to drive conversation and dialogue, hopefully in the farm bill about the benefits of hemp uh, as, as compared to arguing on whether, does it really make you higher or not? So that was both a comment as it uh, wouldn't really mean that as a question, so that's all right. Hey, um, but if I didn't tell it right, then tell me, okay? Uh, on what you're thinking. All right, can you see Michael's question that he's put here? I can. And so okay. um, just to summarize, because I'm not sure, uh, I'm sure everybody won't be able to see it. Um, Hemp-derived THC acetates like THCO are hitting the market. They go way beyond Delta-8, Delta-10 THC, reportedly having six times the psychotropic effect of Delta-9 THC. What's the legal solution? To dealing with them and not tarnishing the entire hemp-derived cannabinoid market. Well, there's a question. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> question. Um, and, I mean, look, I, I feel like this is also one of those questions that has a really unsatisfying answer, um, and that is, <clears throat> I think we, I think we have to see. Um, I mean, there's a couple ways. You, 
My worry when you, with the psychotropic stuff, is that I don't think Congress had any intention of legalizing psychotropic products during the 2014 or 2018 farm bills. Now, um, I think there's a very sort of neat and clean argument to be made why, regardless of their intent, they actually did um, sort of create a loophole for those products. Um, and so I guess, you know, so where does that leave us? Um, if you just wanted to, if your only goal was to make as much money as you can before they close the loophole, well, then, you know, maybe the best strategy is to go as hard as you possibly can to the hole on these types of products, market them like crazy, hope you don't get dinged by FDA or FTC or, or DEA. Um, and, you know, ultimately, if the loophole gets closed or <laughs> enforcement action picks up, the risk calculus changes, maybe you get out. But in the meantime, you make money hand over fist. And that's certainly one way to go about it. I think my worry is that that'll just increase the likelihood that Congress says, you know what, we tried this, people abused it, they took advantage of it, and they're going to clamp down. And when they close the loophole, they're going to do it in a much more draconian way than is necessary. And I don't trust them to use a scalpel as opposed to, um, you know, a machete. Mm -hmm. And so I just, it may be one of those things that were so new that we'll just have to see. It does need to be the subject of uh, lawmaking, either through statutory, you know, through another farm bill or a, an act of Congress, or at least with the agencies coming out and saying something about it. I think if, if you if you play in those sandboxes in the meantime, I, I do think you're actually running a risk of, of, of enforcement. Um, maybe you'll win, um, maybe the law will change. Uh, but going back to that sort of broader sort of reputational question, I don't think it's doing any favors um, for the industry in the long term. Um, and admittedly, the industry is just going faster than the law is right now. I don't yeah. think that's always going to be the case. And I think they'll figure out a way. Um, right now, it's sort of ex post lawmaking. Uh, they, you know, they see what's happening and then try to make laws that uh, address the things that are actually happening on the ground versus sort of ex ante lawmaking, which is sort of create a system and a framework through which. Um, you know, development can take place, but it's still sort of constrained uh, in a certain box. You know, hopefully we get to a little bit more of a reasonable uh, version of the latter where it'll still allow for expansion and innovation um, without necessarily, you know, so, so, so that every new development doesn't put you in some legal gray area where you run the risk of, uh, of being sort of an industry burner. Um, right. So I know that's not fully satisfying because it'd be nice if there was a way to slice it where you could say, sure. this is in, this is out. I just don't think we know yet. Yeah. So, Michael, second, great question, great answer. Uh, what's the, the second question is, what do you think about any legal issues of getting hemp feedstock approved as an emergency basis for livestock feed since there's a current livestock feed shortage? You know, I've never heard of that, but I'm, yeah, I haven't done this personally, but I think it, I don't want to say anything would be in this space would be simple um, or getting the government, federal government to act on some sort of emergency basis would be simple. But I mean, it may be as straightforward as, um, you know, contacting, I think there probably, I think you'd want to talk to the Department of Agriculture, USDA, 
You probably also want to toss the FDA because they're going to regulate animal feed. Right. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of discretion to act on an emergency basis. Um, and, you know, if you can convince them and, you know, it probably would be helpful to engage a, a lobbyist or someone who has, um, you know, worked with those agencies in the past and who would know who to put you in touch with there who could actually, you know, help see this up the chain. If you could convince them that there was an actual harm happening, you know, there is this shortage, there is this crisis, that you have a solution that's doable, that it's, you know, that it's not going to injure any sort of other industry, um, you know, or, or some other interest that's important to them. Um, it may be as simple as them saying, sure, you know, you know, we'll, we'll have some emergency rule, right? Uh, maybe, maybe it's an interim rule, um, you know, maybe it's temporary, um, but, uh, you know. Maybe you know, it's a labeling thing. Hey, yeah, be, I mean, uh, hey, hey, be aware that this hamburger you're about to eat was, you know, the, the, the cattle were fed, you know, hemp grain or, you know, hemp, you know, something like that. And so therefore be aware that this has not been fully tested, blah, 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 blah. And it's got the purple sticker on it or the yellow X or whatever, then maybe something like that, but who knows? Right. But yeah, that's legit. That's, that's cool to do. I know the hemp feed coalition. We're glad to be members of the hemp feed coalition are working very hard at trying to work the process of at least kind of getting something started. And, you know, right now they are, <clears throat> have worked with on laying hens specifically as a, as a, um, subcategory of the chicken right specifically right. for that to, to to get that and all that it takes in the third party studies and then once you get that done and all approved and stuff uh but the emergency basis idea is a really cool idea too so it's great michael thank you as always some some great questions wet we appreciate you as always and and uh we will um uh, uh see you probably after the first of the year we're going to take some reduced amounts of time for our uh, uh, webinars for the rest of the year. We're going to skip next week uh, because of Thanksgiving. Um, then we'll have uh, uh, three episodes in uh, in December. And then the last two weeks of December, we'll take off. But then we'll back be back again in January. So uh, a new year before we get to visit with our friends at Bradley again and learn more about what they're doing. So Whit, thank you as always for your time. We appreciate very much you taking some time and being with us. My pleasure. Wish you, uh, you and yours happy holidays. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, in two weeks, we will, we will get a, a forecast from the folks, uh, Chase Hubbard at uh, the Jacobson, uh, who do really great uh, market studies and, and their crystal balls about the markets for hemp in the future. Chase was on with us back in the spring. So we are trying to get him on uh, once in the spring, once in the fall to uh, give us some prognostication. So that'll be our next opportunity for uh, webinar Wednesday. If you are not on our mailing list, go back to the national hemp growers co-op.us. We'd love to have you on there to learn more about what we're doing and learn more about uh, great projects of ours that we, that are, taking place all across the country. Until next time, thanks all. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.